Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Tommy Fury to my Tyson Fury. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, you alright? Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, I'm excited for, you know, we, we, we fly to Mexico, which is amazing news. Um, we'll be recording from the other hemisphere, which is which is good fun. Um I don't really have much else to say or add. I'm just, I've just got a lot of butterflies in my tummy. I'm, you know, really excited to to, to travel. Really, yeah. is Mexico in the southern hemisphere? <laughs> I thought it was. I'm not sure it is. I'm going to check a map now, but I am also very excited for you know the holiday. It is a stag do. Um, it is in the northern hemisphere, so you've got oh. that wrong. Um, what? <laughs> but, but we are going. Uh, to Mexico for a stag do as we say so um, just and I could be a bit worse for wear over the coming days but without a doubt we'll still be providing a fantastic podcast to you mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen on Sunday it's just part of my second tier world tour uh, which is entering the second leg as we head to Mexico but just and I am very much looking forward to having some enchiladas some uh, other Mexican food and just you just having a bloody good time Absolutely, absolutely. And the avocados out there are meant to be uh, extraordinary. But what I will say is this: all I eat at the moment is wraps. So I just eat tortilla wraps all the time. So I'm now going mm. somewhere where most of the, well, I say most of the food, a lot of the good food, street food, uh, wrap based. So I'm basically, just my diet doesn't change at all. It's incredible. No, that sounds spot on. Really, it sounds like you're going to the perfect place for a stag do. I, I well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's expensive. Um, I'd much rather be, be being somewhere in Europe because it's cheaper, obviously. But you know, we're good friends, we're good pals, we're good people. We're doing what we can. Yeah, I think going to Mexico for a stag do is a bit excessive. Isn't it? I think yeah. the ideal place to go would be kind of your Prague kind of area where it's a bit cheaper. Yeah. A bit Dublin. We went to Dublin last year. Didn't we, we did. We did. We recorded in Dublin, didn't we? We did. I tell you what, we've recorded in some dramatic yeah. places, haven't we? <laughs> Incredible, incredible. We get we get about. We could actually tick off a lot of countries if we uh, based it on where we've recorded remotely on, we on occasion. We need a scratch map. We do, but we're also, even when we're in the same country, in the same hotel, we still record in separate yeah. rooms <laughs> because we're just so dedicated to making sure that sound quality is bang on. But look, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Before me and Justin go off on our jollies, we've got some midweek championship games to talk about. We've got three games, two on Tuesday night, one from Monday night, all draws, which isn't ideal for us having some sort of narrative to talk about. Uh, but we'll go through them, uh, talk about some of the games coming up in the championship this week. Me and Justin will each make our predictions about the selection of games coming up. Uh, talk about some news from the past few days as well, including potentially another points deduction for Reading. And then, of course, we'll finish off with Diddy or Dinty right at the end. So let's kick things off with the game or one of the games on Tuesday night. Luton came from two goals down to draw 2 2 with Millwall. And what a game this was, Justin. It was. It was uh, probably not what you expect from. A Millwall looting game in that Millwall have been very difficult to break down, uh, very difficult to break down in recent weeks. And so have Luton. Luton have got uh, sort of crept up to be one of the best defensive teams in the league. They don't, not only do they not concede chances, but they don't concede too many goals either. Um, so, yeah, 2 2 is certainly more open than, than you'd expect from these two sides. But, yeah, certainly was a good game, helped by some uh, questionable officiating and goalkeeping. Yeah, Gary Rowett admitted afterwards that a draw was a fair reflection of the game. 
when a coach says that after conceding a late equaliser, I always think that mani- that's manager speak for we were very fortunate to be leading in the first place. And that was the case because Luton won't be happy with the refereeing. They should have had a penalty in the first half and then Millwall's second was offside by about a good yard. And then Millwall's first goal came from an absolute clangor by Ethan Horvath in the Luton goal. As bad a mistake as you'll see this season. Got to say, I'm not sold on him as a number one goalkeeper. He, he's made a few howlers this season. Not as bad as this one against Millwall, but still. You can let off goalkeepers making the odd mistake, but I've had a look back at the goals Luton have conceded in the past few months, and he, he's cost them a fair few points. He may have made up with some of them, um, with some saves, but I'd be pretty confident in saying he's cost them more points than won them points over the course of the season. Statistically, he doesn't rank very well in terms of goals prevented compared to other number one goalkeepers in the championship. And it's a shame because Luton are one of the best teams defensively in the division, but I don't think the goalkeeper is up to the same standard. I don't know if you agree, Justin. Yes and no. I, I think Luton have fallen into a category of... of I think James Shea's injuries last season probably put them in this position where they, they needed to recruit a, a goalkeeper um, and one temporarily because I think they feel like they've got a number one. I mean, James Shea's a good goalkeeper and I know they went, they had Sluger last season, there was Shea, there was a couple of other loanies, there was Eistead, um, Matt Ingram at one point as well. I know they went through a fair few goalkeepers because of injuries, um, but Shea probably ranks higher, the higher out of the, the lot of them um, and probably still does now. So maybe he will, once he's back fit and firing, he might replace Horvath. But I do think the defending wasn't great. But at the same time, like you said, Luton don't face too many shots. They've shown that. They, they back that with the stats. They don't face too many shots. Maybe if they did face more shots, more questions might have been asked about um, Horvath throughout the season. But yeah, certainly didn't cover himself in glory. But I don't think the defending was great either. This is a good result for Millwall though, isn't it, Justin? It is. It is. I, I think both managers would have taken a point before the game. I think the disappointing thing from a Millwall perspective is you two nil up, you then can see two goals. Um, I thought Millwall defended relatively well, two late goals, um, and, and that sort of all that hard work throughout the game sort of goes away a little bit, and it leaves a bit of taste in your mouth. But I think it's a good point for for both sides, both chasing a top six place. Millwall in a good run of form away from home. Tom Bradshaw still amongst the goals, which is a positive. Um, but certainly, yeah, I think both sides will take the point, and yeah, Millwall will take. A relatively below par performance um, with a point as well. Yeah, both these sides remain in the playoffs. This was their game in hand, so a point each. Not a dreadful result for keeping them both in there. Just want to point out, by the way, Luton and Millwall on the same points, the same goal difference. Millwall have scored one goal and conceded one more than Luton. Just thought I'd point it out because it was seemed quite interesting when I looked at the table earlier. On Monday night, Swansea and Rotherham drew one all. This wasn't a great advert for the championship, it's got to be said. A very lacklustre game, but it was Rotherham who came closest to winning it. Georgie Kelly had a great chance late on, and I think Matt Taylor will be pleased with what he saw here, Justin. I think he will. Um, I think I've probably not given Rotherham enough credit. I've probably focused too much on their past results and not really focused on them, their improvement over the last sort of few weeks. Um, there was obviously teething issues for, for, for Matt Taylor coming from the Paul Warren era um, but this this Rotherham side it's looking like they've got a lot more about them than they, uh, than, they, than the other three teams in the bottom three at the moment 
Um, they weren't perfect by any means, but they played with a lot of energy and confidence. And there was a, a really good press, a, a triggered press at certain points that puts Swansea under a lot of pressure. The turnover in possession and getting the ball in the box, lack quality at times, but they did a, a very, very good job on Swansea. Um, so I was I was impressed with them. Benny's goal was quite funny in that he was fouled and then his touch was incredible where he traps the ball dead and then pokes it in. Um, he's certainly a man, with, a man with confidence at the moment. But yeah, as I say, I don't think I've given Rotherham enough credit. They impressed me and... Um, if they continue to play like that, I think they will easily stay out of the bottom three. I think you're giving that Ogbenny touch a lot more credit than it deserves. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure how intentional that was, but when you consider that Rotherham are the only team in the bottom nine not to lose over the game week, mm-hmm. that makes it an even better result. Yes, it's just a point, but you look at that table now and you can't help but feel quite positive about their chances of staying up. It's a six-point gap now between them and the bottom three, considering wins have been... Few and far between for the teams down there. That's quite a sizable gap, actually. But now Rotherham are only a point behind Birmingham, two behind QPR. Those two are scrounging around for points themselves currently, aren't they? And dragging a couple more teams into the battle is only a good thing, Justin, for a Rotherham perspective. Well, absolutely. I think if they can continue picking up results and um, putting the pressure on teams above them, it's only going to make things harder, obviously, for the teams above them um, than it will do for them. They're, they're a team that don't look like that. Well, form-wise, shouldn't really say they're in a confident run of form, but I think their ability to or difficulty in breaking them down will certainly make teams that aren't as uh, ruthless defensively at times um, above them look over their shoulder. Um, as I say, they're, they're on a much better course than other teams, and I think that's going to stand them in good stead in that final running. Another poor result for Swansea this, just three wins from 18 league games. And worth mentioning again, that incredible stat that three of their last four (laughs) wins have come against teams who have had a man sent off before the hour mark. I was listening to Andy Hinchcliffe on Sky Sports and he was talking about Swansea. He said they have to be careful if they lose Ryan Manning, Russell Martin in the summer, that club could implode. They've got to sort it out quickly. It's dramatic, but he is right, isn't he? He makes a really good point. Um, and when you consider the fact that over the last few transfer windows, there have been unhappy players. Obviously, Jamie Patterson last year, um, Michael Obafemi in the summer, and then Morgan Whitaker um, in, in January. It doesn't it doesn't really make for good a good outside perspective on how the club's being run. Why are players unhappy? Why are players discontented at the club? Um, if that's a word. Why, why are they looking to go elsewhere? Are they not getting paid enough? Are they not... Um, uh, you know, are the ambitions of the club not aligned with theirs? There's a lot of question marks coming in, and it unfortunately just lends to how poorly run the club is at the moment. Poorly run in the sense that there's such a lack of ambition that they're regressing more than the pro- uh, more than they are progressing, and it's it's such a shame because the club was well set after all the sales they've made, the Graham Potter, Steve Cooper era, putting them in a good position, and all the sales they made and bank of money they've created for themselves after the parachute payments. It's not being reinvested and that's the main thing here yeah Swansea City as a football club are at a crossroads and it's now up to the owners as to where they go next the life has been sucked out of the club you just had to watch the game on Monday night to realise that the atmosphere was so dead non-existent yeah exactly and it's because this season has just been so very underwhelming and it's essentially over already isn't it why has it been underwhelming it's difficult to see 
beyond anything other than Russell Martin not being backed. We're like a broken record at this point, but not signing any players in January was simply unacceptable. I can understand the purse strings being tight and not spending beyond your means like other championship sides, but Swansea have sold Flynn Downs for £10 million in the summer. They would have had some money from Michael Obafemi going out on loan as well. It seems like parts of the Swansea hierarchy aren't completely convinced by Russell Martin. Now, that may be wrong, but that's why I think he's not getting the backing he should do. And that's why I think it's becoming increasingly likely that he will walk in the summer. Where does Swansea go if that happens? I don't know, but I can... I can only see them going backwards just because of the lack of ambition that's being shown by these owners. And then the final game for midweek on, was on Tuesday night, Preston v Coventry, which ended goalless. As far as nil-nils go, that was quite a fun one. Both teams had <laughs> some good chances, Preston the better of them. My favourite moment of this match was, I think, Callum Doyle pinging this long diagonal ball into the box and Jamie Allen sizes it up, hits it first time on the volley about 15 yards out. He connects so cleanly with it, but it just goes over the bar a tiny bit lower and we nearly had a goal of the season contender on our hands but as I say Preston had the better chances namely for Ched Evans and Liam Delap. they've not had much luck with strikers this season have they Preston they've got five of them and the only one who's found any sort of form so far is Ched Evans and he's only got seven goals for the season it's one of the main things that's been holding them back into well scoring goals has been an issue all season just look at the run of draws at the start of the season um, I can understand why fans are frustrated, but at the end of the day, they there have there has been there have been occasions where they have been creative, um, but strikers haven't been clinical. And when you say that the likes of Chad Evans, who I don't know, he's thirty two, thirty three now, he's very much a journeyman. Um, he's at the tail end of his career, and he's your top goal scorer. It just makes for really uncomfortable reading in terms of um, the quality amongst your ranks. I know Emil Reese Jacobson wasn't in top form prior to his injury. Um, and he was misfiring as well. It's not all down to Ryan Lowe. Um, so I, but I can understand frustration. It's, it's, there's a lot of potential with that team. Um, that's just not quite clicked this season and it just looks like a very mid-table, mid-table low, mid-table season for them. Yeah, Ryan Lowe can't score the goals, can he? I mean, no. if you put him on the pitch, considering how good he was back in the heyday, he, he may still have it. He may be, he may still have that goal-scoring instinct, but he's, when you've got five strikers, who none of whom have found any prolonged period of form this season then that's not down to him I don't think Coventry unbeaten in five points not a bad result here they're 10th five points off the top six Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about some of the games coming up in the championship this weekend make our predictions and then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days Back to the second tier podcast. So in each preview episode of the second tier, Justin and I each pick a team we think is guaranteed to win in the championship this coming weekend and also pick the team we think will be the biggest surprise winner. Now, it's worth mentioning Justin's got a very sketchy prediction record, but who's your banker of the weekend in the championship, Justin? Sketchy. I'm sure my form uh, prior to our sort of preview break was actually quite good, but I'm going with Luton this weekend. Um yeah, Just to jump in there, I think you got two in a row. And that, <laughs> apart from that, that's been pretty much your only correct predictions all season. It's two in a row, though, isn't it? Um, and that's, that's I will caveat that by we don't do 
predictions in every Thursday episode, but we, we do them in the in quite a few. And yeah, yeah you, you, your results have been have left a lot to be desired, haven't they, Justin? Yeah, they have. I'm in a. Um, I'm trying to think of a manager in a similar scenario. Maybe a, a John Eustace situation where the, the fans like me, but the results are against me. And it's not looking good. Um, do the fans you know, like you? They like me more than you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going with Luton to um, to beat Swansea, and it's 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 down to Swansea just being in a bad place at the moment. Um, but actually, mainly, what's going to interest me about this game is Luton's press against Swansea. We saw against Rotherham, um, Swansea struggle with that mid press, um, that triggered press that Rotherham would deploy at certain occasions. Luton have that in their locker but more aggressive and more more frequent. And I just don't think Swansea are going to be able to cope with it. Um, as I say, the aggression and energy is just going to play into to Luton's hands. I don't think Swansea will be able to, um, to to cope. And their inability to create through central areas is going to force them into wide areas. And Luton are very adept at playing three at the back and they're very adept at defending against um, teams who like to play it wide. Um, and I just think they're, they're a much better side uh, in terms of deploying that 3-5-2 or that three at the back formation so for that that reason alone I can only see a, a Luton win for this that being said the, the confidence I have in these predictions is far too yeah it's far too high to, to what my actual results are okay good to hear um, in terms of what I think I'd be a lot more comfortable back in Luton if they're away from home. They're one of these strange teams who have a better away record than they do home record. But having said that, I would still fancy a Luton win here just because Swansea are just in a pit of despair right now, aren't they? My banker for this weekend is Middlesbrough to beat Reading at the Riverside Stadium at 3pm on Saturday. At the weekend, Middlesbrough suffered just their third league loss since the start of November under Michael Carrick. Otherwise, they've won 12 of their last 15 league games, which is just an astonishing record. The teams they've lost to are Burnley, the best team in the league, Sunderland, who Middlesbrough were down to 10 men against for half the team, half the game. Uh, Middlesbrough had the 10 men, I should say. And West Brom, another of the strongest teams in the league. No disrespect to them, but that standard of opposition is a lot better than what Reading have to offer. Borough's home form has been particularly impressive. They won six from six, scoring 16 and only conceding three in the process. They've got quality all over the pitch and are just this functioning unit right now, which is bang full of confidence and should be too much for Reading. Reading have outdone all expectations this season to be fair to them having said that their away form is pretty woeful they've won just five points from a possible 60 <laughs> on their travels since the start of October Borough will have to be wary of Andy Carroll who's actually having a very good season much better than I think many people are expecting as is Tomins but I will be amazed if this is anything other than a comfortable Middlesbrough win and the news of a potential points deduction for Reading won't help matters Will it not? I could just generate that siege mentality that Paul Ince has thrived off. Um, you know me, I always like to play devil's advocate with your predictions. So that, that might lend into thinking a fair bit. But that being said, it's really hard to look past the fact that Reading is so bad away from home. They've got second worst uh, away record in the division. They've not scored in the last four away games either. And Middlesbrough are very good at bouncing back from uh, from you know, big blows. So it's, it's difficult to see anything other than a Borough win. But that siege mentality, it works a hell of a lot. Just ask Derby last season. Yeah, you like to question my bankers, despite me only getting <laughs> one or two bankers wrong this season. Mm. And you've only got like two bankers correct this season. 
I'm that sort of person who, no matter how significant or overwhelming um, a suggestion is, that is bound to be correct. I would always question it. I'm a pessimist. Everyone knows this. I'm a, I'm a pessimist. I like to sit. Um, I like to sit on the fence a fair bit and, and question people. It's just what I do. It's just what I do. Yeah, pessimist is one way of describing you. My surprise win of the weekend is Preston to win away at Watford at 3pm on Saturday. Now, Preston and Watford seem to come up quite a lot in the surprise section of our previews. Watford mainly being on the receiving end for it. There's a reason for that. I think most people believe Watford will get in the top six this season, but they're not the most convincing side by any means. It's one win in seven, and they're a side who just haven't clicked this season. They're very reliant on a bit of magic from João Pedro, who is really being stifled in this current system. It's disjointed. It's not a unit. It's as much of a team of individuals as you can possibly see, really, at championship level. Now, admittedly, those individuals are very talented, hence why they may very well end up with a top six place anyway. However, I'm not saying that with outright confidence that they are destined for a top six place. They're coming up against Preston, who... There are two versions of, the home version and the away version. Bizarrely, last weekend was their first home win since the start of November. Away from home, only Burnley and Luton have won more points than Preston. How can we possibly even start to explain that? That makes absolutely no sense. How is it possible for a team to be as good as they are away from home, but so meh at (laughs) home? Not a clue. Um, They've only lost four of their 16 away games this season and will fancy their chances of getting something at Vicarage Road. Young striker Tom Cannon got his first Preston goal since joining on loan from Everton at the weekend. They need him to be firing because they haven't had much luck with their forwards this season, as we were saying earlier, Justin. Preston's season is beginning to fizzle out, so Ryan Lowe needs to finish strongly to keep supporters on side because there's a fair bit of frustration being directed at him and other parts of the Preston hierarchy yeah it's hard to disagree with this one um, mainly because my thinking is Preston are very good at edging tight games and Watford aren't very good at not creating tight games if that makes sense they're very good at allowing opposition to to be within a game for a prolonged period of time um, and that's really frustrating given the amount of quality they've got throughout the side so for me it's I think I, yeah, I, I quite fancy Preston for this one I quite fancy a Preston clean sheet at the very least and yeah as I say, that that quality in that Watford team, it's just uh, it's a flip of a coin when they're going to turn it on and switch it on, or whether or, or when Billy is going to allow them to, to really kick on. So yeah, I, I do fancy a Preston result at the very least here, at least a clean sheet, as I say. Yeah, when Watford turn it on tends to be when one of us has picked them to lose in our preview predictions. So that may very well be the case again this weekend. And if that is the case, I apologise, Preston fans. Justin, who is your big surprise winner in the championship this weekend? I'm going with Stoke to beat Sunderland, which considering Stoke are pretty decent away and Sunderland aren't that good at home, might sort of maybe allow some people to question my decision I'm not surprised given how crap I am at these um, but, and, and as well as that the, the forms against them Sunderland are unbeaten in three at home Stoke have only won one of the last five away games which sort of lends into the surprise element of why Stoke will pick up three points <laughs> um, as I think again really important to point out Stoke's performances have gradually been improving which gives me a lot of hope that they're finally on the right path uh, under Alex Neil. it's taken a hell of a long time but there's been a steady progress, steady flow of chance creation um, and steady flow of 
limiting opposition. They were unfortunate against Millwall, the fact that Millwall scored early with a poorly defended goal. I think if the game was nil-nil, Stoke may have edged that or at least taken the point, which would have been a positive. Um, and even with the defeats away at Blackpool and uh, well, to Blackpool and Millwall, Stoke st- still created the lion's share of the chances. And I imagine Alex Neal will be desperate for a result in this game. He's going to reverse Gary Rowett. It. He's going to be the Gary Rowett to Stoke. He's going to do that to Sunderland. So it's going to be the start of a unbeaten dynasty against Sunderland, I very hope. Probably jinxed it, but there's there's a fingers crossed element. Yeah, the Alex Neal derby. We'll uh, have to <laughs> wait and see on that one. Right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with Reading, who are facing the threat of another points deduction according to The Telegraph. They're said to have broken certain regulations in the business plan that they agreed with the EFL after they previously breached financial rules. The Royals are now in talks with the Football League over an agreed punishment, which could be another six-point deduction, the same as they were given last season. Two points deductions in 18 months, Justin. Yes, uh... Nervous laughter, isn't it? I think from Reading supporters, that's the best way to describe it. And whilst we don't know a hell of a lot at the moment, it just raises probably more questions than it does answers, obviously. Were the club allowed to spend by EFL despite restrictions? Why did the club spend if they if they knew they had these restrictions? Or why did they overspend? Uh, have the EFL been approving every deal? If so, why have they been allowed to overspend? There's just so many questions. Um, and unfortunately, supporters are uh, once again in the dark over it and it's frustrating because I don't think anyone knows how to vent the frustrating to- frustration towards um, but two points deductions in the, in the space of two seasons isn't um, isn't ideal for any football club and it, it just it just lends to you know well we don't know we don't know who's who's in, who's to blame here it could be Reading it could be the, the AFL if any club breaks the agreed terms of a business plan twice in 18 months that's <laughs> That's really poor, isn't it? And questions have got to be asked. Why is this happening? Reading agreed to these terms. They know what they are. So to fail to follow them is either incompetence on their behalf or they just don't care. They're continuing to suffer from how poorly run the club has been in the past. I remember not too long ago when... How much was it they were spending on wages compared to their income? 196% or something. Ridiculous. And they're really feeling the brunt of that now, aren't they? A few seasons down the line at this point. One thing I don't like is, why are the EFL negotiating with clubs about what their punishment is? They should be saying, you failed to follow the plan, have you? Boom, six points. See you later. But what does a potential points deduction mean for this season? Well, six points would see Reading drop down to 19th, six points above the bottom three as things stand in the current championship table. It leaves their position looking a bit tenuous, although I'd be surprised if they actually went down personally. I don't think they'll go down. I just think it's, from an outside perspective, if I'm looking at um, the championship I'm wondering why so many clubs are getting points deductions. You look at Derby last season, Reading last season, Reading this season. Potentially, it doesn't. It just. It just. Unfortunately, it just uh, exemplifies the argument why football needs a regulator in this country, and it's a damning indictment of how football clubs have been run. Um, but as I say, I think Reading will survive. I think their points target. I. I will stand by this until the end of the season. I think the points target for teams staying up this season is, is going to be 45 points. Um, and running around 44 at the moment, they'll just need to make up that, that final seven. They've got a good home record. 
and a good group of players. So I have confidence that they will stay up. QPR's accounts for last season have been released. Just about half a million lost each week pre-tax. Nearly £25 million for the season. The thing is, that's pretty much par for the course in the Championship. And compared to some other clubs, £25 million isn't that bad. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, saying that? It's it's horrible because clubs shouldn't be in this position. Um, but unfortunately, it tells you what you need to spend to compete in a Championship. And it just says, uh, similar to the wrong thing exemplifies the need for a level playing field financially um, that being said the, yeah, there's, a, there's a good reason why the club haven't spent massively there's a good reason why it was a relatively quiet um, quiet summer period in terms of transfer fees being paid out um, and it's probably a, a symptomatic of why the club are struggling this season as well they needed squad depth they clearly couldn't afford it or not couldn't afford it but probably mindful of further losses so yeah, unfortunately, that's the um, that's the part of the course in terms of competing in the Championship, isn't it? Well, I consider QPR to be one of the better run clubs in the Championship as far as they've still managed to compete at the top end of the table prior to the season, despite not spending a huge amount. But any normal business that's losing nearly half a million pounds each week pre-tax, you'd take it into the garden and put it down, wouldn't you? It just shows how mad some of the finances are in the championship that nearly 25 million pounds lost in a year is actually seen as not too bad compared to your fellow rivals at the daily mirror says birmingham defender harley dean led a no holds barred dressing room inquest after their defeat to luton at the weekend which sounds very dramatic doesn't it blues have lost nine of their last 11 games i mean fair play to him just in something someone has to do something don't they Absolutely. I think this is quite normal, though, for, for dressing rooms. We always hear players come out of interviews to local press, really, and say that they, they've they held some frank discussions after poor defeats or poor runs of form. So it's not exactly new news. I think the frustrating thing is that it's been leaked um, to, to, to journalists. That is the, the main issue for me. That should be a unified dressing room, or it has been for the best part of eight or nine months and we're, we're getting leaks at this point. That's the concerning thing for me is the fact that um, it's been able to leak to national press. Um, that, that's the disappointing thing and I think that's that's what will worry me more rather than a potential you know raised voices in the dressing room. It's worth saying reportedly John Eustace wasn't in the, tra- in the changing room at the time um, which is sort of interesting. But yeah, it's uh, certainly boiling over a bit at Birmingham, isn't it? Now in transfer news, Newcastle are the frontrunners to sign Bristol City midfielder Alex Scott this summer, according to Footy Insider. They're said to be willing to loan him back to Ashton Gate for next season. Palace, West Ham and Wolves also said to be interested. Sounds like he's got his pick of clubs this summer, Justin. It's not a surprise, is it? He's a talented player. Um, he's, he's improved massively this season. His ball-carrying abilities magnificent um i think any club willing to spend over 20 25 million pounds for him will get a very very good player i'd like to see him in the championship for another season or at least for six months maybe a loan back to bristol city i think that's a, a deal that would suit all uh, a loan in a, a 20 25 million pound fee but he's um he's going to the top level isn't he? he's a, he's a top top talent he's brilliant he's massively gifted and fair play to, to bristol city for developing that sort of player well, he's been nicknamed the Guernsey Grealish, which I absolutely hate. I think the rule is now whenever you have an English midfielder who can dribble, he's now instantly compared to Jack Grealish. 
But he is a wonderfully talented player. He's got so much raw talent, which could see him become an elite player. He's a brilliant ball carrier, so comfortable with the ball at his feet. He can pick a pass and there's a bit of bite about him as well. 19 years old, he's only missed one league game this season for Bristol City and that was because of suspension. So as I say, he has got a bit of bite to him. Um, But with the right manager, this lad will go on to play for England. I'm pretty sure about that. But he's got to pick the right move this summer because it looks pretty certain that he will move this summer out of Newcastle, Palace, West Ham and Wolves. I'd say Palace would be the best move. Yeah. Because they've shown recently that they're not afraid to give game time to young lads like Abirieze and Michael Elise. I'm not sure about Newcastle, just because it's very difficult to say whether he'll get game time in a couple of years, considering their enormous wealth. Bristol City may very well prefer for him to go to Newcastle because it means they're getting back on loan next season from the sounds of it. But in the long term, it may suit them better financially when it comes to things like add-ons and what have you. So it seems like, in my my mind, it'd be better off if he went to a club where he's more likely to play Mm -hmm. in a couple of years as opposed to just going to, you know, whoever's going to loan him back to Bristol City next season. Um, But, I mean, Pep Guardiola was singing his praises after... Uh, the FA Cup game in midweek, saying he's a wonderfully talented player. I think that guy knows a fair bit of about football, doesn't he? And when he's saying that, that shows just how much of a talented boy Alex Scott is and how much of a player Bristol City have got on their hands. The Daily Mail says Nottingham Forest are keeping an eye on Hull defender Jacob Greaves. Brentford and Villa also said to be monitoring the 22-year-old. And Bristol City goalkeeper Max O'Leary has signed a new deal to keep him at the club until 2026. The 26-year-old has become the first choice at Ashton Gate this season. And now, it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Did He or Didn't He? This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's Justin's turn to guess and my turn to provide the players and clubs with the scores 103-102 to myself after I managed to pull off for the first time in Diddy or Dinty history. A perfect 10 out of 10 last week. And I have been buzzing about that ever since. Justin, do you fancy your chances of uh, getting back into a healthy lead? I just need to garner a, a good lead and we go again next week when I give you some, some good players. Okay, look forward to it. Uh, do you want the first player? Yep, 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 yep. Cool. So the first player is Darren Lenahan and Fleetwood. Did he or didn't he? Hmm, Northwest trickery there could have been a loan spell. I like that. I don't know Danny uh, Daryl Anahan's career very well, to be honest with you, other than Blackburn. Um, so I'm going to say no. You'd be correct. He never played for Fleetwoods. So that's one out of one. Next up, Connor Roberts and Middlesbrough. Did he or didn't he? I think he had a loan spell there. He made like. Three appearances, perhaps in the um, in the promotion season under Karanka, maybe. I don't re- I don't re- I don't really know how old Connor Roberts is. He seems like he's been around for a while, so I think he's uh, I think he's yeah maybe sort of, or not not the Karanka season, the Woodgate season. So I'm going to go loan spell. Yeah, he's he's paid for Borough. One appearance on loan in 2017. I looked at his Wikipedia in midweek and my eyes nearly fell out of my head when I saw that move and thought that is going straight in. So I'm quite disappointed you got it, Justin. Two out of two. Good start. 
Next up, David Mailer and Coventry. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, David Mailer. Quite an uh, uneventful career. Um, and no disrespect, but Coventry were a very uneventful team in the uh, mid-noughties. So I'm going to go loan spell. <laughs> he paid for him. I mean, you've got the time completely wrong. <laughs> Five appearances on loan in 2019. Oh, God. So, <laughs> three out of three. Always irritating when Justin comes up with a crackpot theory about when this move happened. And he's got it right, but the time is completely wrong. <laughs> three out of three. Ollie Norwood and Peterborough is next. Diddy or Dinty? That's difficult. I feel like, I feel like he, he may have played for Peterborough. There's certainly a player who, I'm going to say no, because there's a player who has a very similar sounding name who has played for Peterborough very recently, and I can't remember who it is, um, but I'm going to say he hasn't played for Peterborough. You'd be correct. He never played for Peterborough. I don't know who you're talking about, though. It's Ollie North something. Yeah, anyway, yeah, there's a player out there. I would search it, but I'm so disinterested. Ollie Norburn. Ollie Norburn. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Four out of four. This is going very well for you. Next up, Andy Cole and Wolves. Did he or didn't he? No, 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 no. I like to come across Andy Cole's Wikipedia quite often, to be honest with you. He's got an interesting career, um, but I don't think he played for Wolves. Can't remember it at all. You'd be correct. Made it up. Never happened. Five out of five. Second 10 out of 10 in a matter of the same week. Next up, Aidan McGeady and Charlton. Did he or didn't he? We had a loan spell there. Went to Charlton in the Championship, I think. Yeah, played for Charlton. Completely passed me by. 10 appearances on loan in 2020. Mm. Six out of six. I'm getting a bit nervous now. <laughs> Eric Lehigh and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? <laughs> Oh, Eric Lehigh, you put out someone so 7 out of 10. Um, but a Leeds loan spell, go on then. This is a complete guess. That's a difficult one. Yeah, you pay for Leeds. 16 appearances on loan <laughs> in 2011. Incredible. Quick side note, I used to see him on Football Manager before I had any idea who he was. And this was when I was a teenager and used to call him Eric Leichich. Leichich. I probably called him Eric Leichich up until 2018. To be fair, I don't know where Lehigh has come from when you no. look at the spelling of it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Paul McShane and Barnsley. Did he or didn't he? I've used Paul McShane in the last month or so. That's a frustrating one. I should know it. Um, no. No, Barnsley have got a good cohort of Man United loanees, but I don't think Paul Machine was one of them. Ten appearances on loan in 2011. Not Man United. Not Man United. Um, West Possibly Brom. Hull. It is around that kind of West time, Brom. wasn't it? Um, so 10 out of 10 is out the window. Still a very healthy 7 out of 8 so far, though. Two remaining. Stephen Bywater and Blackpool. Did he or didn't he? Oh, God, that's a difficult one. Um, yeah, temporary contract galore towards the end of his career. Um, no. no. No, no, I think you're playing the uh, the uh, high player card 
the uh, high high player registration card. <laughs> You'd be right. He did. <laughs> yeah, his uh, his Wikipedia is quite astonishing. The number oh, yes. of clubs he's been to. Um, eight out of nine. Final one is Stephen Taylor and Ipswich. That's the Stephen Taylor who used to play for Newcastle. Did he or didn't he? He did. Uh, yeah, he did. What club did I say? Sorry, you said Ipswich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I was getting my head, getting my head scrambled. Then I'm still suffering from jet lag. Um, you're saying he did play for Ipswich? Yeah, I know he played in blue. I know he played for Peterborough. Um, I fancy Ipswich in there as well. Three appearances in 2017. Nine out of ten. I tell you what. You took your hat off to me last week. I'm going to take my hat off to you there. That is a very good score, Justin Peach. So that means the scores now are 100 and it... God, these are such a mouthful now. 111-103 to Justin Peach for the season. We have massively upped our standards again, haven't we? We went through a bit of a a shitter (laughs) and now we're back on it again and uh, getting some very healthy scores. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Diddy Adinti and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday reporting live from Cancun uh, as a... halfway through... Reporting uh, on what? Reporting on the championship, moron. Um, (laughs) Yes, me and Justin will be live from Cancun and we look forward to speaking to you then. We may be very hungover, but we'll still give you one hell of a bloody good podcast. And so we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big, big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.